Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. Today's guest is Brad Baldridge. He's a college funding specialist who has helped thousands of families plan and save for college with smart and proven strategies to save time, money, and stress. As a financial expert, blogger, and host of the Taming the High Cost of College podcast, Brad has been sharing his college planning insights with his clients, subscribers, and listeners for nearly 20 years. Welcome, Brad. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, Brad, we start with this question with all of our guests. And of course, this is uh, an investment show, but uh, all of us want to save money and all of us want to plan better. So let's start with this. Tell us something interesting or funny about yourself. Wow. Well, I mean, something that's maybe because your listeners wouldn't know, but I'm starting to have to eat my own cooking. So... I have two kids in college and one in high school. So, you know, 10 years ago, I was preaching about this stuff. Now I'm living it. So, and it does put a new perspective on it, of course, because when it's your own kids, you know, I'm certainly no expert at my house. Let's put it that way. (laughs) That's correct. So, and, and we also talk about investment. So what was your very first investment and how did it work out for you? Wow. Um, I mean, I certainly did a lot of paper out and that kind of stuff, but I don't think I was really investing. I think my first real jump into investing was there was a gentleman named by the names of Charles Givens, who did a lot of presentations about real estate investing. And this is back in the days when you would go to the hotel and there was no internet and there was, you know, so you'd, you'd buy ring binders and that kind of stuff. And yes, I was couple of years out of college and I went with a friend and we just signed up and we didn't know any better. So we started doing what he said and it, you know, turned out reasonably well. I bought, I think I was collecting 10 or 11 rent checks at one point. Nice. And, uh, but then I got married and had kids and launched this business. So the rental real estate was kind of a distraction and I uh, sold it all to buy my family a nice home and, um, start my college savings and et cetera, and moved on to, you know, different endeavors. Got it. So what do you invest in now? Like, uh, you know, of course you have your business, but do you also invest in stocks or real estate or anything else? Yep. I mean, pr- primarily, you know, the boring stuff, the 401ks, the, all that kind of stuff that, um, and then the business itself, of course. And right. The ownership. right. Got it. So uh, let's talk about college now, right? Uh, and personally, you know, this topic is uh, close to my heart because I'm going to go through this soon as well as a lot of my listeners. So yes. if, I, if I'm if i a parent and I need to plan for college, how do I get started? Right. So I think the first step is you need to understand whether you're in what I would call early stage or late stage planning. So late stage planning is you've got a high school kid and you're trying to figure it all out. 
And then early stage planning is before that. So it could be, hey, we're pregnant. Let's start saving for college. Oh, wow. Or okay. <laughs> it could be you've got a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, even a 12 or 13-year-old where you're just, you're not quite ready to visit colleges and do that side of it. But parents can, at any age, obviously can start budgeting and that type of th thing. You know, I encourage most parents to talk about, well, how much college are you willing to pay? You know, are you going to say something like, you can go to any college you want, we'll pay for it, doesn't matter what the price is. And look at the recent prices before you say something like that. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, that's I think, is the big um, first step is to understand. Because if you're early stage, again, you maybe can lay some plans and come up with a big pile of money. But then whether you've done a great, you know, lots of people I work with didn't do so well when the kids were young and they're trying to catch up now. But even if you, you know, you've got kids in high school, a sophomore, junior, senior, now you really are in the midst of it where you're saying, okay, we got to visit colleges. We got to pick college. We got to either plan how well we're going to spend our saving and investing if we have some or supplement it because we don't have enough, which is very common. Or occasionally we, you know, we have nothing at all. So we got to really play catch up. And then on top of that, it's negotiating with schools and financial aid forms and appeal process and understanding scholarships and need-based aid and merit aid. And it's a whole big process. And for most parents that went to school 10, 15, 20, 25 years right. ago, the process has greatly changed. Of course. And even like the the prices are crazy now. <laughs> I my uh, my mom was cleaning out her basement the other day and she ran across one of my old boxes and it had my ACT report in it. So she gave that to me and I sent my ACT report back in 1985 to three colleges and the public school tuition was 1200 and the two private schools were 5200 and 5600. Wow. For the year. Wow. Right now that's, you know, I mean, it's just crazy. It's 10 times that or more. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so again, that's what's been happening is the prices go up. And, uh, you know, so now we have to factor that in. So it's it's a different game and there's lots to learn. And the better you do the, play the game, it's just like investing in taxes and some of these other things of, you know, there's, there's overall big, big strategy of are we going to college and who's going to pay for it? on one end and all the way down to the minutia of, well, if I do this, I'll get a little more financial aid. So that means I'll pay a little bit less than what I had if I didn't do that. So, or tax strategies or all the different things, right? All the, again, the minutia where most people just get buried with, oh, I don't understand how taxes work or how need-based aid works. So they just do the best they can. And is that good enough? Well, it depends on the family, but, you know, and I'm not saying you can't do it yourself, but if you are going to do it yourself, you know, budget some time. This isn't something you're going to knock out on a Sunday afternoon. This is many Sunday afternoons. Right. So let me ask you this. So someone, if someone did not start thinking about funding for college and now their kid is going to ninth or 10th grade, what can they do at this point? Right. Well, again, they can, they can start saving now. And again, <laughs> sometimes it just isn't going to work out. You can bridge the gap with loans. And again, some families, you know, if they're actively investing and, you know, following some of your strategies, whatever they might be, they might have money. It's just not really dedicated to college at this point. So they could shift right. it to college now or later. Right. I mean, that's always a challenge too, of when you've got a six-year-old, it's still astronaut and cowboy. 
and you're like, well, one needs college, one doesn't. I don't know, you know. And then, so you did maybe you just put it off, and that's easy too, especially the daycare and that kind of stuff. Once it gets real, then it's just time to buckle down and say, uh oh, we're behind. And it was, you know, it's not unusual for me to say, based on, you know, your three kids and your goals and that kind of stuff, if we could get 2500 a month, we could make this work. And then, you know, I get this, you know, scared look in their eye. And right. it's like, well, <laughs> you know, we were thinking 1200. Well, we could probably work with 1200. But if a family is saying, well, what do you mean 2500? I was thinking 50 bucks. Well, yeah. I mean, that's just not realistic, right? Right. They have something to work with. But for some families, they're going to take college and they're going to spread it over just the five or 10 years that the kids are in college. Other families are going to spread it over 20, 30, 40 years because they save and invest from the time the kids are young. And then they do what they can while college happens. And then they clean up some loans when it's all over. So, you know, from the time the kid is born, they started saving until the kid's 25 or 30 and they pay off the last loan. Um, nothing wrong with that plan if that's what works. And I see a lot of entrepreneurs are, who are like, well, and I like the idea that I'm not putting a lot of capital into this because I've got bigger fish to fry and I'd rather not take my seeds and spend it on college if I can avoid it. We'll use loans for now. Again, it's you know just a financial decision like any other. Loans aren't good or bad. They're just a tool. Um, so that, I guess, is kind of the process. Right. So uh, what are some of the top strategies you recommend for saving and paying for college? Right. So certainly the various college savings plans, you know, the whatever's available in your state, the 529s or covered L's, they're often a piece of the pie. They may not be the only piece. We often pair them with other investments. And then again, you know, for people that are, you know, more actively involved in their investments, you can go outside the box too. And things like rental real estate, I do have a little real estate. My kids help me with it. I pay them very well. And then they yes. save for college. And, uh, you know, so some of you are, you know, that understand what I just said there, where I pay them very well and they save for college because I, then I don't have to pay the taxes of the money yeah. they do. Yep. And, yeah. and this is what I do as well. Mine. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. My kids get paid and even I put some of that money in Roth IRA as well. Right, exactly. So again, and those are just some of the strategies, right, that you could use. But on top of that, I think up until about five years ago, college was very much a black box where if you look at the very end stages now, typically all the deadlines that a typical family has to deal with are set by the colleges and they all land in the senior year of high school. So at the very beginning of the senior year is when you apply for admission and financial aid. And then from there, you'll get some, you know, you'll get accepted or you won't, they'll offer you scholarships or they, or they won't. And you kind of hear that through the winter and into the spring and then on May 1st, most colleges, they want their deposits. You know, you, you decide yes or no. And if you're, you're coming, then they want some actual deposits to hold your spot. And then through the summer, they, they start onboarding the students and they give them their dorm spaces and assign roommates and do all, and, you know, provide the loans if that's what you need. All that happens in this through the summer and then they're off to school in the fall. So that last year is the timetable is very much the college. 
But the two years prior to that, there are no deadlines really, but there should be because for most families, you need to put some deadlines up for your, for your own use. Like by the end of the junior year, you should have a good understanding of what schools you're going to apply to. Well, what does that mean? Well, these are the five or six or 10 or four or whatever it is that we're going to apply to, or maybe of these 10, we're probably going to apply to eight or seven. We haven't quite finalized it yet, but we're close, but not, oh my God, we haven't looked at a school yet by the end of the junior year. That sets you way back. You also God. might need to do testing, right? You might need to have yes. an ACT or SAT. SAT yeah. Or again, with the new test optional, there's, so, you know, sometimes that's the answer is we're not, we're not testing or our test scores didn't work out. So we're not submitting scores. Hmm. But that's a tough call to make until you know what schools you're applying to. So we need to have some sort of plan through the junior year of, are you going to take the test once or three times? Or, you know, my son took it three times and eventually got to a good score, but he had to work at it. Yes. And we got really lucky because we started just before COVID. So he tested summer, fall, winter, and February or March, and then COVID shut everything down. Oh, and all his peers who had only maybe done one test and needed to go back and retake it, they couldn't get a test site because all, all the test right. sites were closed. Yes, everything. The was whole closed. world shut down, yes. and that's why test optional was born at a lot of these yep. schools yep. because they essentially were saying we can't take any students because nobody yeah. has a test score. So they, we have they need to, to make money, right? right exactly. <laughs> so, and then a lot of the colleges tried it and they said, you know what, it works without it. So we're going to keep yeah, going. Exactly. So a few colleges have reinstated it and it's moving right now. Some colleges have coming are coming back. Some aren't. Oh, so before you decide we're not doing it or are doing it, you really need to know that, understand the ramifications. Got I'm not it. saying it's a bad decision. I'm just saying, make sure you use it. You're informed before you make the decision. Um, Because again, sometimes it can make a big difference to the positive if you go ahead and do it. Um, So anyway, so that's an idea of what goes on junior year. And then sophomore year, a lot of times what people don't realize is it's based on your taxes that start your sophomore year, the whole financial aid process. So if you had a rising sophomore right now, that means that they just finished freshman year. So they're three years away. So 2026 is when they would graduate. Right. So they're going to do financial aid in 2025. And it's going to be based on 2024 taxes. Okay. So if that's your kid and you've got a big pile of Bitcoin, or you've got a real estate, <laughs> or you're, you think you're going to sell one of your buildings, you might want to do it this year instead of next year so that that transaction shows up on a tax return right. that colleges don't see. So that's how, you know, again, planning it early is important, especially for people that have control of their numbers, right? I mean, if you just work at a typical job where your salary is pretty much the same year over year, there's not much you can do to change it. You know, you're not going to quit your job in order to get financial aid. But if you, again, you're working real estate or some other investments, you might inadvertently, and I see this a lot, inadvertently sell a building or do something that shows up on your taxes in a year that the college sees. Another big one would be an inheritance. A lot of families that get inheritance, now all of a sudden they, they have to decide what to do with it, with, you know, grandma's IRA 
and not knowing any better, they say, I'll take it all. Just send me a check only to realize it messes up their financial situation for college. So there's right. a, right. So that, now we're getting into all the little minutia again of if you do this, you get that. If you don't do this, you, you, do, you know, and there's a lot of it around need-based aid and merit aid and taxes and investing and, you know, hiring the kids in the business and all those different pieces of the puzzle. Got it. No, that, that makes sense. And I was looking at your website as well. And one of the things you mentioned was that one of the biggest surprise for many parents is that the price of college isn't what they see on the school website. What price should parents actually expect to pay? And why is there a difference? Yes. Well, that's a great question. So Right now, the average state school is about 27000 and that's list price. And the average private school is about 57000 list. Now, what does list mean? Well, that's tuition, room and board, books, fees, beer and pizza. It's the whole cost of a typical college student for one year. Yes, one year. Not so then multiply by four or five. And that's, you know, that's the reality, unfortunately. But that, again, that is list price. A lot of colleges will offer some form of need-based or merit-based scholarships or other types of incentives in order to have your students come. And uh, you know, some of the elite schools, as an example, Stanford out in California, they have a press release out there now that says if your income is under $100,000 on your taxes, then college will be free. They will cover all of tuition and all of room and board. So, I mean, you just show up and off you go. Now, if your income is below 150,000, but more than a hundred and you're in that gap, then they won't necessarily cover all of housing. So they'll still cover all of tuition for sure. And then after that, you may have to pay for some housing. So that's, you know, now, the challenge, of course, is Stanford is very generous, but it's also very challenging. Right. You know, their acceptance rate was three or four percent last year. They don't, you know, your students need to be rock stars or the equivalent yeah. in order to have a shot. And, and, and again, if you do have a shot, by all means, go for it. And, you know, it's a great school. But again, that type of generosity doesn't apply for to all schools and sometimes it's a little they're a little bit challenging to get accepted to but that would be a great example if someone sees well stanford is eighty-eight thousand or whatever it says on their website it's like well yes and no right for the tech entrepreneurs that are worth millions or billions yeah it's going to be eighty-eight thousand for their kids for sure but for very low income it might be almost free and if you're in the middle it'll be somewhere in the middle potentially so I've seen families earning 300, 400,000 still qualify for some aid at some of the most expensive schools. And there's no, you know, I, I often get that question. Well, how much do you have to earn before you don't get any aid? Well, it's a sliding scale. So how much do you have to earn in order to not pay taxes or to pay this much in taxes? Well, it depends on your situation. It's very complicated formulas, et cetera. But I would at least consider it possible, especially if you're at expensive schools, well into the six figures, you know, 300, 400, 500, you get to a million, you're probably not going to get it. And even at two and not 200,000 and 300,000, it's less likely at the state schools, but again, at the expensive schools, it's certainly possible. And, then, and then for people that can control their, their numbers, 
you know, then you might make things lumpy where it's going to be a hundred thousand this year and 300,000 next year. And if you time that well, that could make a difference as an example. So that's what I got to do. <laughs> right. Exactly. So that's uh part of the process of, you know, understanding. And of course, you want to do it at schools where it'll actually make a difference. Sometimes, you know, at a typical state school, there's a lot of people there that pay full price no matter what they do. And they can do all kinds of strategies and tactics only to discover that they're not going to make a difference at that particular school. So that's, again, part of the process. If they offer merit aid, do they offer need-based aid? Where do you stack up, you know, at that particular school? And that's where, you know, on my website, we've got a lot of resources. As you mentioned, we've got cost of college charts where you can see you know, the list price of the college plus based on income, some of the net average net price. So again, as an example, you know, in my state, I think the state school is about 28,000. And if memory serves me, if at the highest income you pay pretty close to 28, but at about 35,000, you pay more like 10. And at, at zero income, you pay more like seven. Again, because there's need-based aid programs and Pell Grants and things like that, that help people that are the most needy, but those drop off pretty quickly at a state school. Now, there's a lot of private schools on that list where the public schools at 27,000 and a similar situation at a private school is 30,000 or 32,000. So it's not really, you know, public school at 27,000, private school at 67, it's 60, it's, um, excuse me, 27 versus 32. And now all of a sudden parents say, well, if I like it better, if I see $5,000 worth of value to spend a little more, we'll do right. it. Just like when we buy a car, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't, everybody doesn't buy the cheapest car they can find. They've got certain needs. You know, we've got a big family. We need a minivan. We, you know, we're doing a lot of work at our rentals. We need a pickup truck whatever and right. then you kind of you know base it accordingly and the same what's challenging is imagine if there's all kinds of crazy number list prices on the vehicles but at some places for some people it was 50 percent off and you didn't know until you talked with the salesman for a while and actually negotiated the deal and that's kind of what college is like uh, it's like you can't really tell that you're going to get 50 percent off by looking at it until you understand how the game is played and then you have a shot where and again and i've got we've got software out there now and various ways the college money report on my website you can put in the financial information of your family and your grades and it'll give you a guesstimate of what three colleges might cost but you gotta you gotta feed the data to it and yes. it's not perfect All right by any means but it's a place to start right. and i think that's where most people kind of need to, you know, deal with the, what are my options and how do I do this? And, you know, you can start, what I recommend for most people is you kind of couple figuring out what they're going to cost with what colleges you're visiting and try and you can't do the, all the financial work on every college. That would be a lot of work. Yes. But you can very quickly, you know, if your student says, well, I'm not going further than a hundred miles. Well, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of colleges that aren't on the list anymore. So you don't have to worry about those. Just worry about the ones that are kind of bubbling to the top. 
right. as you're working the process. Um, God. So one but, question I had, you mentioned about the income. And of course, I'm in California, right? The Bay Area. So income, you know, it's pretty high for most of us. And then we end up paying like 50% in taxes, right? <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, when the colleges look at the income, is that the gross income or is the income after, uh, you know, tax deductions and everything, right? So a lot of time because real estate can give me a lot of depreciation, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to understand how that would work. Right. Yeah. So they, and actually they've just changed the rules. So I've got a calculator on my website that will calculate what's called the SAI, which for those that have done this before, is all, it used to be called EFC. So ESC is expected family contribution. That's the old way. The new way is SAI or student aid index. Mm. And they just changed the formulas a bit. But in general, what they do is they take your AGI or your adjusted gross income. And then they add back in some of your tax-free income net. So Roth distributions and bond tax-free bond interest maybe get added back in. And then for some business owners, they may add back in your contributions to retirement. So if you put money in a 401k, usually that's okay if you're just an employee. But if you're also the owner, then it shows up on your taxes. And if it shows up on your taxes, then they know about it. And then they add it back in. Right. So that unfortunately, that's the way it works. So I rate, you know, so it's not foolproof with the retirement contributions. You got to understand the right. nuances there. Um. And then that, and then they give you credit for the taxes that you pay. Um, federal taxes, unfortunately, they don't mm -hmm. give you much of a benefit for state taxes state, anymore. Okay. Um, which hurts in the high income states, but that's the change they decided to make recently. All right. And then they also look at your assets. So, and not all assets are counted. So they would look at you know, so the things that do not count are generally retirement, like. 401ks and IRAs do not count as an asset. Um, what does count is college savings plan, investments that are not retirement, businesses are new. Now they include all businesses. Um, real estate that's not your primary residence. So your rental properties or business properties. That yes. is, and it's net value on a lot of those things. So if you've got a million dollar building with a $900,000 mortgage, you'd net that out. Got it. Um, but not all debt is automatically considered either. So credit card debt, as an example, doesn't right. count. So sometimes <laughs> there's strategies around having the debt in the right places as well. Yeah, it's, it's important. Once that's all done, they convert your assets to an equivalent income and they add it to your actual income that we calculated before. And then they go to a table and look it up kind of like taxes. Hmm. Got so, it. you know, at a uh, hundred and fifty thousand of income, your EFC might, or your excuse me, your SAI might be about twenty five thousand, let's say. Which means, if the college costs more than, and then the formula for need based aid is the cost of attendance minus eight. So, if you're going to a state school that costs twenty five minus twenty five, you don't show any need. That same uh, family, okay. right? That same family going to Stanford at 85,000 minus 25,000, you need 65,000. Got it. And there's also good news in that Stanford has 65,000 and they'll probably provide it to you mm. because they're very generous. 
the other private school down the road might say, well, we don't have enough to go around. So yes, you need 65, but we can only give you 50. Got it. So your net cost, but they wouldn't maybe not cost as much either. So, so their net cost might be similar. It might be different. And like I said, it, you know, so what I went through is pretty complicated. Some, you know, people have to listen to it a couple of times to follow yeah. it. Right? Go to my website, look at the calculators, look at the net price numbers. And I mean, it's all there. But in the end, what it really boils down to is first step is you show a need based on some complicated formulas. If you show a need, then you're eligible for need-based aid. But just because you need it doesn't mean the college will automatically have it. Um, some will, some won't. You know, state schools are notorious for being a low-cost option, but they don't give a lot of aid to the middle income and up. Yes. You know, most of their aid is <laughs> focused on the low income. That's always so, the case, right? <laughs> yes. So, so, you know, that's the game, I guess. That makes sense. Many parents worry that paying for college will wipe out or delay their retirement. How can families balance paying for college while saving for retirement? Yeah, that's a big challenge. I spent a lot of time talking with families about you know this topic. And I think it's all relative to and as far as where you're coming from and how much resources you have. You know, I always make the joke, you know, if you're giving up the lake home so that you can afford to send your kids to crazy expensive colleges, well, I mean, that's your decision, right? I mean, it's you, maybe you don't use the lake house, so you're fine with that. Um, but if you're going to, again, crush your retirement in order to spend crazy amounts on college, then perhaps you want to reconsider. And then for some families, you know, finding a good low cost option and doing the best you can and realizing you're just going to have to bite the bullet and take some loans and just to make it happen. I mean, that's the reality, right? For some of us, college is, right. you know, basic. We're, some of us are saying, oh, state school is no problem. We got that covered. Now we're starting to think about Stanford at net 50 or net 60. Is that worth it? It's like, well, I can't make that call for you. You know, we all spend our money on something, whatever it might be it's a kind of a judgment call, but if you don't have it and you're going to go into debt because you want to go to the more expensive choices, um, that's, I think a bigger challenge. And, but I think for some families too, that it's, you know, we're already at the lower lowest cost options and we've done the best we can on aid and scholarships. And there's still a net price that we can't quite afford our loans worth it well for most kids that get a quality education in the long run it's worth it um there are certainly instances where it's not and i think that's where i you really need to start evaluating your own situation and your own children um you know there's the bright kids out there that are going to be fine no matter what they do they don't even need to go to college i mean if bill gates didn't need college he just went right. and did his thing right yeah now, if you've got that type of kid, you know, if they like like the idea of college, oh, great, send them. They'll be fine. And if they have to take on some debt to do it, they'll probably be fine. On the other end of the spectrum, I mean, we know those kids that are going to struggle no matter what they do. And, they're, you know, they're just not on a good path. And college maybe isn't even the right path for them. They need to go go to the school of hard knocks or whatever it is to, you know, get their feet under them first before college makes sense. I think the real challenge is the group in the middle that's, 
you know, that, that are impacted like by the quality of education, right? I mean, we have yeah. those students that you talk to them and that, that seventh grade teacher, that math teacher or science teacher lit that fire. And all of a sudden they figured out they could do it and they, you know, they, they jumped in and you can't thank that seventh grade teacher enough about for, you know, kind of turning the tide. Um, that teacher made a big difference, but again, not always is there something that's going to make a difference. And that happens in college for a lot of kids, right? You talk to a lot of people about what their path was. And a lot of them will say something happened in college. And that's one of the reasons why everybody wants to go to college. And that's why a lot of parents are hoping to send their kids to that typical four-year campus experience. I mean, I had a lot of fun doing it. I'm willing to spend a lot more money than I probably should because I thought it was so great. I want my kids to have the opportunity. So I'll, you know, I'm willing to do what it takes. And lots of people are willing to do what it takes. That's why the price keeps going up. You know, they raise the prices and parents figure it out. So they raise the prices again and parents still figured it out. Now, now finally they're starting to slow down because some parents are starting to back off and say, wait a minute, this is getting ridiculous. We're going to have right. to find a lower cost option. So they've started to raise the prices, you know, so when the, you know, this recent bout of inflation, I don't know how that's going to impact things, but through COVID, a lot of colleges were raising their published prices, but their net prices were actually going down. Yes. You know, they went from 62,000 to 64,000 and their costs went up by $2,000, but their scholarship, average scholarship went from 40,000 to 45,000. So they, the amount of offers, they, you know, the money they were giving out went up $5,000. So their net income actually went down. And that's, you know, just recently, that's a first for colleges where we're finally at the saturation point or whatever you want to call it, where and not, and not all colleges can have command the same prices. And that's and the other challenge that most families are up against. So let me ask you this question. Um, and you have, of course, uh, mentioned about it. In state or out of state? Which is better? Better? No, that's yeah, a very... Or... <laughs> right? As soon as you allow the out-of-state, you're kind of asking for higher prices. Yes. Um, most of the time, as part of the planning process, when I'm working with families, one of the things we do is pull up a couple likely in-state, state colleges, you know, that would be appropriate for your student, and run the numbers on those, because that's the price to beat. Sometimes an out-of-state school will beat it, especially if you're an expensive state like California. Yes. You know, kids in California can go to Iowa for about the same price as UC Berkeley. Now, it's not UC Berkeley, and right. almost Californians don't want to go to Iowa. But that's the reality, right, is it's out there. Um, so it's certainly possible. And, you know, New Jersey and Illinois and are kind of some high price options, and Florida is a little bit of a lower cost. You know, they're got a lot of aid for in-state, you know, so the states themselves often have either lower cost or aid for in-state residents to bring the cost down for, you know, merit scholarships or need-based scholarships or both within the state. So again, there's this big patchwork now of federal aid, state aid, aid from the colleges themselves, outside scholarships and Every time they add a program to help, it's one more thing that you have to understand and figure out if it'll help you or not and how it might conflict with whatever else is going on. 
Well, that that makes sense because I've been thinking about a lot about this topic lately. <laughs> yes. So now this was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing a lot of golden nuggets. Uh, before we get off, I have a couple more questions for you, which are not related to college. Okay. Favorite favorite nonfiction book? It could be college education, business, investment, self help. I guess uh, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits, go back to a classic. Yes. Oh, that's a that's a great classic book. Yes. How do you give back? Um, mostly it's around college education. I do a lot of pro bono and seminars and webinars and go to some of my local schools and that type of stuff. It's you know, it's easy for me. I I understand it well enough, and that right. It, it's a high value to them and i you know i could go somewhere and carry boxes too but you know i i there's a lot of need for you know people that understand this and they're just willing to share right how can my listeners reach out to you it's all at my website so taming the high cost of college.com is the website i also have a podcast wherever you get your podcast under that same name so taming the high cost of college but at the website, you can sign up for our newsletter, which I'd recommend, where it kind of you get your information and it reminds you every once in a while because we get busy and forget that we're supposed to be working on this stuff. And then everyone, you know, once a week or so, you'll get a reminder that, hey, here's an idea. Start thinking about this. Um, but there's all the free resources, the calculator, scholarship guide for busy parents, you know, something that'll help get you up to speed on the scholarship process, all kinds of good things. Um, and then there's also can you know you can schedule appointments through a link or you can there's a phone number right on the website there you can pick up the phone and give us a call that's awesome i thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today and i myself learned a lot <laughs> yeah well thanks for having me absolutely thank you thanks for listening to the wealth matters podcast if you enjoyed it Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing!